Welcome to The Theatre, the podcast of the Royal College of Surgeons of England. The Theatre is an ongoing conversation on surgery and surgical training, featuring practitioners from around the world in discussions ranging from learning and professional development to advances in technology and technique. This is the fourth and final part of an ongoing series on the theme of LGBTQ people in surgery. Building on the themes introduced in the previous episodes, Jenny Belbrick, consultant vascular surgeon, and Chloe Scott, consultant orthopedic surgeon, will in this episode interview Royal College of Surgeons of England Vice President Tim Mitchell and Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh Council member Claire McNaught on what the colleges can do to improve participation and inclusivity for LGBTQ surgeons as well as surgeons from other marginalized groups. So during Pride of 2020, the Royal College of Surgeons uh, put a post up on Facebook to support Pride and they had to remove comments um, as there were so many negative comments on this post. And now we're a year forward and the college have produced a series of podcasts about being LGBTQ plus and being a surgeon, um, coinciding with the Kennedy Report having been published um, in, in the interim. We've done three podcasts and today is the fourth. The first one was about being a consultant, an out consultant, and we discussed being um, during our training and the implications of being an LGBTQ plus uh, consultant at work, some of the microaggressions, some of the overt aggressions that, that we faced. The second podcast was uh, with trainees and the issues that they face, principally about having to come out um, every rotation to being LGBTQ plus and the concerns that they have that if they are out, uh, the career progression and ultimately becoming a consultant. In the third podcast, we discuss the issues of coming out as a transgender surgeon and in particular those of colleagues and patients reactions and, and Philippa, who, who I was chatting to, her fears for her career at the time, which on the whole, fortunately, were unfounded. There were some definite themes that came out from these three podcasts, especially the need for role models, mentorship, visibility and a network. We were calling for us to have a voice and wanted to see actions. But most of all, we wanted to see a culture change and calls for the colleges to ensure that surgeons are as diverse as the patients that we care for. We've actually had a really overwhelmingly positive reaction and feedback either directly to the college or through DMs that we've received. And today, um, Chloe and I um, are going to record the last podcast um, being joined by Claire McNaught, who's a consultant colorectal surgeon in Harrogate, council member and honorary secretary of the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, and by Tim Mitchell, who's a consultant ENT surgeon in Southampton and vice president um, of the Royal College of Surgeons. He's also the lead for the implementation of the Kennedy Report. We're really grateful to you both for agreeing to join us on this uh, on this podcast to discuss the issues. Most importantly, we wanted to give the colleges a, re a right of reply, having discussed the issues um, amongst ourselves. And we feel that's the, the best way forward. So that sort of leads, having said that, Tim's the, the lead for the implementation of the Kennedy Report. That's sort of like a nice link in to discussing the Kennedy Report first. Um, and the Royal College of Surgeons of England commissioned this independent review led by Baroness Kennedy into diversity of the leadership of the surgical profession of the college last summer. And it was published in March. It actually made quite difficult reading, particularly the personal accounts. Um, it was very honest and open about the issues faced. 
by all minority groups. Um, and it did also look at LGBTQ plus surgeons uh, in the profession. So Tim and Claire, what impact do you think the report will have on surgeons, surgical culture and future workplace, please? Claire, would you like to go first? Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks, Jenny, for the invitation uh, to come here. And, and I'd like to start by congratulating um, uh, the Royal College of Surgeons of England for doing this report. I think it was a very brief uh, thing to do. And I think it's really highlighted um, that, sadly, I think a lot of our sort of minority members and fellows don't feel that we're representing them. And I think that both Tim and I would agree that that's, that's something we want to change radically because we want our surgeons, as you said before, to be from a, a very diverse um, you know, groups and should, they should absolutely reflect the society uh, that we serve. I think um, for me, what, what came out of it was it was really uh, issues such as differential attainment, the different opportunities that minority groups have. They just don't get the same chance as perhaps some other other groups get, and I think we we definitely do have to to have to deal with that. And we've got we've got a number of strategies uh, planned to try and uh, try and promote equality across the whole surgical profession. Thank you, Claire. Tim, can you give us your view on the Kennedy report, please, and its impact? Well, uh, thanks, Jenny. And uh, first of all, thank you very much to, to you and Chloe for this invitation to join the podcast. I'm very pleased to be part of it. Um, I think really there's two aspects to um, the impact of the Kennedy report. I think the first clearly is within the college itself. And uh, we hope that this will lead to changes uh, that make the Royal College of Surgeons of England a more open and inclusive organisation. Um, and as part of that, really, to ensure that we represent our members uh, in all their diversity. Um, and embracing diversity is one of our strategic aims in changing the face of surgery, which is our new strategy document that uh, we've just published. So that's really important as uh, a first principle. And then secondly, uh, looking more widely at surgery in general, I think it's really important that working together with other colleges and other organisations that we look to change the, the culture of surgery. Um, we want it to be a more attractive career for doctors from a range of different backgrounds uh, and we need to create a more welcoming and fair environment that will make a better working environment for everybody and ultimately will improve patient care which is the critical thing i think when chloe and i were discussing um the podcast we really wanted it to be you know the two colleges um to be discussing this it wasn't just all from coming from all college surgeons of england so it's the, all both all the colleges working together to 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 try and um change the, the 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 issues um one of the things i see is when you talk about equality and diversity the very people that you want to engage and to listen actually just switch off and I think if you turn it into this is your future workforce planning and the workforce that you've got out of there out there to, to choose from it hopefully people will engage more and um, what do you think of that well perhaps I come in first on that um Ginny I think uh, you're absolutely right and there, there are two themes that come out of the Kennedy report uh, for me one is inclusivity it's about including everybody and making everybody feel welcome um, and it's also created as part of that creating the sense of belonging and I think we recognize that uh, there are many people uh, from a range of different backgrounds who don't necessarily feel that our college or indeed other colleges necessarily represent them uh, and so I think it's important that we put in place structures that ensure that everybody feels welcome they feel part of a wider college family uh, and that reaches out to everybody. Claire what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I would absolutely echo what, what Tim says. And, and I think, you know, workforce planning is, is a headache, you know, 
for everyone, but the key is to get people early. And I think certainly what we've been trying to do is we've been trying to go into medical schools. We're really engaging with universities. We're putting role, very diverse role models, you know, to actually go into these institutions and say, look, you know, you could be a surgeon too. You don't have to be, you know, middle-aged and white to be a surgeon. You can come from all sorts of social backgrounds. You know, um, you know, I'm, I'm particularly interested in the, in, the, in the widening participation exercise that the government did, um, getting people from some you know, sort of lower social economic classes as well as other uh, sort of minority groups. So, I think it's really important that we get people at the beginning, and to do that, we have to have role models, very diverse role models, actually reaching out to people to say, actually, you can be, you can be a surgeon. It's possible, and it can be incredibly rewarding. And and so, I think we have to start at the very beginning to try and change uh, change that. So obviously the Kennedy Report was commissioned by the English College and, and the English College also have um, a fairly active women in surgery group. And I know that that's something that um, that the Edinburgh College hasn't gone that way with. Um, what specifically is the Edinburgh College doing in terms of increasing their inclusivity um, for women, for other minority groups um, and for, for LGBTQ um, surgeons in particular? Well, I think, um, you know, about about seven or eight years ago, um, I, as part of the uh, um, the college sort of remit, actually did, didn't, I didn't want to specify about specific groups. I, I, I went to, wanted to look at younger consultants, younger surgeons coming through, because actually a lot of the issues that affect women in surgery don't just affect women in surgery, they affect men in surgery too. I'm talking parenting, you know, especially when there's two professional parents, you know, juggling those types of career issues and, and all the challenges that, that it is of being of being a surgeon. So we set up the Younger Fellows um, uh, group to try and, uh, you know, be far more inclusive rather than saying, well, this is only for women. You know, I think less than full-time working isn't just a women issue, it's a, it's a everybody issue. And so I didn't want, we, didn't, we didn't want to narrow it down so much, to be honest. We wanted to be much more open about that because I think that's the way that surgery is, is evolving. Um, rather than putting people in boxes, we should actually be, you know, we're all surgeons. We're all we're all facing the same challenges. Let's work together to to, to address the issues. But in terms of um, looking at, at how our um, minority uh, surgeons are treated, we know um, that undermining bullying happens across um, all all grades, all speciality, but particularly to our minority groups. And so, for about five or six years, we've been working very hard through a, a, a campaign. Let's remove it. Looking at undermining bullying. And although that doesn't particularly relate to LGBTQ plus community, it does include that community. Um, we've worked with over 40 different organisations to try and really tackle the workplace cultures that are actually putting people off from, from actually you know, joining our profession. So we've been very active uh, doing that. Uh, we've also uh, more recently um, re reached out to uh, other organisations such as GLAAD to, uh, to try and get, you know, just to try and learn more. Uh, from our, our LGBTQ plus colleagues to say, look, you know, you know, what is it that your specific challenges are? What can we do to help? And, and, and so we're, we're starting to sort of address things by trying to be more collaborative um, uh, with, with lots of different organisations, including our colleagues at the English uh, College too. I'm sure you'd agree with that, Tim. And so, so obviously the English College has kind of opened the door to all of this by commissioning this report. Um, and Tim, you've, you've, you've spoken about... Um, how we need to increase inclusivity within surgery in general and really move towards a, a, a culture shift. Um, what are the specific, well, do the English College have anything specifically focused towards um, 
improving the representation of LGBTQ uh, plus surgeons or um, or any other um, schemes to, um, I, I suppose, make them feel more well more welcome in the college. Yes, I'm sure you're aware that um, the recommendations of the Kennedy report didn't specifically identify issues directly relating to LGBTQ plus um, surgeons, but we want to go beyond the recommendations uh, in the spirit of the report, and we are intending to establish a forum in order to bring LGBTQ plus surgeons uh, together. Uh, we already have a staff group for LGBTQ plus members of staff. Um, but in addition to that, I think a number of the recommendations of the report will uh, inevitably benefit LGBTQ plus surgeons. So for instance, we will be establishing uh, as a flagship project, uh, supporting parents in surgery. And I think that's really important because that uh, really cuts across differences in gender, ethnic origin, sexual orientation, uh, and affects a large majority of our members and fellows. So I think that's, that's really important. Um, and we'll also be offering more support to SAS surgeons, uh, addressing differential attainment in surgical exams, which inevitably will involve working with other colleges because exams and training, or the oversight of training, uh, are arranged on an intercollegiate uh, basis including all four uh, surgical royal colleges across the British Isles uh, and also providing mentorship. So I think that uh, LGBTQ plus surgeons will benefit from a whole range of uh, projects that are uh, we're starting up as a consequence of our response to the Kennedy report. Uh, and in addition to that, we will be establishing a, a forum uh, specifically for LGBTQ plus surgeons. I'm sure Ginny would agree with me when it sounds like it, it's really great that the colleges are kind of embracing this and really trying to um, change the culture. Um, do you foresee any barriers in implementing all of these uh, changes that you would like to see? Uh, well, I think um, if I can speak that first, Tim, um, I think that the major barrier is, is actually the, the workplace culture across the whole NHS. Uh, and that's not something that, uh, that as colleges we have... Um, control over, but we're certainly in a leadership position that we can actually try and, uh, and um, alter people's opinions and actually, you know, um, show leadership and examples about how, what professional behaviours we think are acceptable and, and not acceptable. And I think that all of the colleges are, are working very hard um, to try and um, ad address those issues. I think some of the other other things are obviously the pressures that, that the NHS is under in terms of workforce is making it very difficult. I think um, a lot of uh, minority groups, particularly um, women and, and LGBTQ, I think this, the, the lack of availability to work flexibly, either at the beginning of your career, but maybe you've got parenting, uh, parenting responsibilities, or even towards the end of your career, where maybe you just, you know, you can't cope with such a, a rigorous job, is, is, and that um, is really challenging, particularly when we don't have enough surgeons uh, to deliver the jobs. And I think that puts a lot of pressures on people. So I think there's a lot of work to be done there about, about workforce planning, and about making people's work-life balances uh, acceptable so that actually we can all have fulfilling lives as, you know, as human beings, but also as, as, as professional surgeons. So I think that's some, some of the main um, challenges to, to, to change that I think we face at the moment. Yes, I'd certainly agree with Claire on that. I think it's also important to recognise that there's often resistance to change for a whole variety of reasons. Partly just out of a sense that, that we've always done things in a certain way and therefore people carry on doing things in the same way. So actually changing culture particularly is, is quite a difficult thing to do. But I think uh, 
Claire's point about showing leadership is really important. Uh, and we set the tone really for what happens in the workplace. Um, I think it's also important to acknowledge that there's significant generational differences too. I think uh, you know, um, uh, probably our, our younger members and fellows probably see the world in a slightly different way. Uh, and for them, uh, issues around uh, gender, sexual orientation, probably rather different to some of our older members and fellows, to be quite honest. And that's, that's a, uh, just a generational thing. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. And a lot of the problems that we see arise out of ignorance. Uh, yes, we're obviously aware that the report highlights examples of bad behaviour, and, and those need to be challenged. But uh, also, I think when the issues are brought to people's attention, uh, very often they're, they're very receptive to change and, and seeing the world in a different way. I don't know about you, Chloe, but when we put out that first um, podcast, I wasn't really sure what sort of response we were going to get on social media. And we got such positive response in comparison to that just a year ago, that that post on Facebook. It was so different. I think just having these conversations, which have been ongoing with the Kennedy report, have just made such a change. For, well, I feel it personally, and I hope that other people do as well. I don't know what you think, Chloe. I, I definitely feel that change happening. Um, I agree, Ginny. I, I am slightly wary, though, that I know we all live in a social media echo chamber. So um, while, <laughs> while saying it makes you feel good about yourself, it doesn't necessarily reflect um, the perception, the, the wider perception. But no, you're absolutely right, because I think, um, you know, those Facebook posts that got the negative attention, um, it's so public, isn't it? And everybody can see it, um, which which is worrying in itself, I suppose. Um, and regardless of where those um, poor opinions or offensive opinions come from, um, they are from people who are, who are, or who associate themselves anyway, with the colleges, whether they are members or, or what have you. Um, and I think the very international nature of the colleges, um, both colleges, uh, and the fact that you have an international um, membership and, and, and fellows means that people from different cultures maybe don't have the same um, opinions of what we should be doing in terms of inclusivity um, and particularly uh, how we include and try and attract LGBTQ plus people into surgery um, and I suppose that is a, that's another challenge um, maybe that the colleges face uh, in terms of their international um, reputation. Well, certainly there'll be fellows who'll be from members where it's illegal to be LGBTQ plus. I mean, that, what, what do you, I can see you're both nodding. What would you like to say about that that challenge? <laughs> Claire? Oh, well, again, you know, obviously, um, you know, we live in a very diverse world and, um, you know, um, but when, when we have new international medical graduates come into the country, we now run a very um, prolonged induction process when they come through the college through our international postgraduate deanery and very much um, our cultures, our beliefs are, um, you know, and what, what behaviours we expect um, people who are coming from other cultures, you know, we basically set it out quite clearly that, that what's acceptable and, and what isn't acceptable. And I know that the GMC have a lot of information about this, about, you know, you, know, you have to understand that some religions and cultures you know, may not accept uh, this, but in fact, actually, in their clinical practice, that's that's not acceptable. They have to, and, and there are very good guidelines there about how they can address that. So, so we are quite clear with people who are uh, new new trainees, international medical graduates coming in. We we are quite clear that we set the expectations and the behaviour that we we would expect from ourselves. 
and, and if I can come in there, I mean, I, I would uh, absolutely echo that. Um, uh, I think it's obviously very difficult for uh, any overseas members and fellows who are in countries where uh, they may not be able to express their sexuality. Um, uh, and obviously we'd want to give support in that situation, but it's uh, they, they are in countries where they are subject to the, the local uh, ethics and law, which uh, puts them in a very, very difficult position. Um, but I think uh, we can be more forthright about uh, what we tolerate uh, within this country. And uh, you know, clearly there are expectations of uh, behaviour that uh, we should adhere to. And definitely not just being as a surgeon, but in all walks of life with LGBTQ plus visibility is definitely the key for everyone to give everyone, give other people who don't feel they can be visible that courage to do that. Um, before I before I spoke to Baroness Kennedy in the panel um, last summer, I went on Google, which is where everyone goes to begin with, trying to see if there was any research on being a surgeon and being LGBTQ plus. And there was this absolute like resounding silence basically there is nothing out there there's there's a report from the bma uh, from about five or six years ago about being a doctor and being lgbtq plus but there's really nothing about being a surgeon in comparison to when you look at the research about ethnicity or by gender and being a surgeon um I, a part of the kennedy report was that this should be addressed but um what, what are your thoughts on this can i start with you tim because i think this is being part of the kennedy report you know if you're able to to, to discuss or say what you think about that. Yes, thank you. I think uh, one thing I would say that there, there is increasing recognition of health inequalities suffered by patients from a range of different backgrounds, including those from um, LGBTQ plus background. Uh, and uh, as we already touched on, increasing evidence of the effects of discrimination in the workplace, which uh, affects LGBTQ plus surgeons and doctors. Um, and uh, Although these issues affect defined groups of individuals, uh, first of all, it's a matter for everyone. Uh, and in order to deal with that, we have to have a concerted effort to address health inequalities and discrimination. So one of the recommendations of the Kennedy Report was for uh, the English College to establish two annual research fellowships uh, looking at surgery and diversity, equity and inclusion, uh, and therefore by doing that to help promote research in this field. And although the report didn't specify specifically LGBTQ plus issues, I'm sure that they will be included in that approach. Uh, and as you say, there is a lack of research in the area and it's something that needs to be addressed. Totally agree with what Tim said. And I think that the research fellowship sounds like an absolutely fantastic place to start. But I think that the data we have about the LGBTQ plus community in surgery is really, we don't even have that data. You know, we I've, I've tried to pull it from the English College. You know, we we about two percent of our, our members um, uh, affiliate with that group, um, but only about ten percent of people actually answered the question when we actually looked at it. And so, there's possibly something about how we're writing the questions, and 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 maybe not maybe we're just not asking the right things. And uh, so we're just about to redo a, a a big survey of our own membership, and I think we're going to get Chloe for you to have a look at the questions to, to make sure that we're, we're we're actually hitting, you know, getting to the, the the detail of the data that we want to look at because we don't even have a baseline for this. That's the problem. We don't even know where we're starting. So you're right that there's there's very little research on LGBTQ plus surgeons um, as a group, but the research that there is about more kind of um, diverse groups in surgery suggests that um, the surgical stereotype and the surgical culture. Um, is a real problem in terms of putting putting people from more diverse backgrounds off. Um, do you think surgical stereotype 
the, the surgical stereotype does this um, and how do we change it? Let's so start with Tim because he's the surgical stereotype of white male surgeon. Thank you. I, I try not to conform to stereotypes too much. <laughs> I'm just teasing. We've, we've touched on this already, I think. It, it, a lot of this is, is around perception and it needs to be addressed at an early stage. I, I continue to be surprised when medical students come to my clinic and they ask me questions like, well, is surgery an appropriate career for, for me as a woman? Or is it possible to do less than full-time training? And the very fact that those questions are in their head at that stage of their career suggests we have a problem. When you ask them, it's very hard to know where it's come from, but there is this sort of perception that somehow surgery is not suitable for women or less than full-time training. And I'm sure there are other uh, demographics that, that we could include in there. Um, so somehow we've got to get the, the mindset to change very early on. The recommendations of the Kennedy Report include uh, engaging with medical schools uh, and grassroots organisations. And so we've really, as well as changing the culture of those people who are already within the system, we need to, to change the, the input at the bottom of the pipeline, as it were. Um, and, and really make it clear that you know, surgery, as I think we can all agree, is a, is a fantastic career for everybody. And it is in itself a very diverse career. There's, there's all sorts of uh, different careers and paths that people can follow within surgery, a range of different specialties and so forth. Um, and it's really about making sure that we change those perceptions. I, I agree completely. I mean, I'm always um, staggered by the fact that medical students, by the time we get them in orthopaedics, they're um, fourth year, so they've had um, three or four years of, of, of being influenced, I suppose. Um, and they have some very strange ideas about about surgery um, that we really have to try and break, I suppose, um, and, and correct. So I wonder if we're um, if we're getting them early early enough. Uh, if it needs to be even um, at school age to try and um, to try and end up with a more diverse workforce. I know Claire that that's part of the Edinburgh College's strategy. Yeah, and not just the colleges. I know the specialist associations are, are doing that too, and they are. Um, they are. We are sending people into to schools. Um, you know, helping people. Um, you know, people who maybe from backgrounds who can't easily get work placements. Um, to help their CVs. You know, we're doing all of those things. And I say we are being careful about who we're sending, and and because unfortunately, people if they, if they don't see someone like them doing that career, then it, sometimes they, they you know they think well. I've never seen anybody like me doing this before, so I, I obviously they can't do it. So it's really important, and unfortunately, you know, um, that means that there's a few role models, in the, in, especially in the higher um, areas of the college, where perhaps minorities are underrepresented. It's quite hard to find people to do that, and, and if anyone out there wants to get involved and come with us to medical schools, we would absolutely take any help we can get in getting the right people into into these uh, situations. So it sounds like you're pushing it back onto us as a community to sort of step forward and um, and ensure that that uh, that people can see. You know, it's that saying, isn't it? If you see it, you can be it, and that we're there. Yeah. I mean, you've just won that amazing prize at the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, so you're definitely doing that. Congratulations, by the way. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. I don't think all the visibility should be due should be down to the few of us that are on social media, though. So it's nice to. Um, it'd be nice to have more people involved in these. Um, well, that's probably uh, by, by creating, creating the forum. If we can get more people to come forward and feel that it's safe to come forward, give them a safe environment, um, and sort of ask them to 
to do that perhaps. But I'm sort of reminded about when we had that first podcast and you took the wind out of our sails at that time when we were talking about when you became pregnant, Chloe, um, and the comment that was made. I mean, it was stunning that, you know, it was like I, we employed the lesbian because we didn't think you'd get pregnant and wouldn't have a baby, wouldn't go off on maternity leave. I mean, that was that was one of the, I mean, we all stopped talking. Um, and it, it's it's how do we get beyond these sorts of comments um, and the stereotypes it's not just sort of moving away from the stereotypes of a surgeon it's people's perceptions of us and stereotypes of us as a community as well and it's how we change that absolutely but I, I think it's interesting that, that both um, colleges are talking about um, trying to make things better for parents in surgery and making it more inclusive and not just about women and I think um, I think that's a really important um, venture as well because I think parents in surgery can feel a bit well certainly parents who are participating um, can feel a bit sidelined or it's certainly in the research that there is about people being put off careers in surgery it's a concern that people have that they won't be able to have a family if they have a, um, a career in surgery and certainly that hasn't been my experience, apart from some bad, a couple of bad comments along the way. Um, but, you know, I manage, thousands of other women manage um, careers in surgery um, with, with children. Um, and thousands of people successfully work less than full time um, as surgeons. And I think all of these are, are things that need to be more visible. Um, so it's great that the colleges are, are, are running with that. Nicole, if I could come in on that as well, I think that the, the big problem with some of these things is though is is funding, and you know in terms of less than full time training, as you know, there's now um, I think it's type three. You might know Tim better than I do, but there's now you can now actually apply for less than full time training without being a parent or having a caring responsibility, just because you want to train part time, and that's been a really positive thing from Health Education England bringing that in. But the problem is that it's not adequately funded because if if you if you come into a department less than full time training, then that your colleagues are then almost expected to pick up where you left off, putting pressure on your college, which then builds a bit of resentment into the system. And so we really have to demand that if we should absolutely support this, but we have to demand that it's adequately funded so that those positions are backfilled. And then I think that would totally change the culture and about how people feel about less than full time training. From the perspective of surgical stereotypes, another thing that as surgeons that we are very good at is theatre banter. Um, I mean, part of it is because there's that black humour of coping with difficult situations when you, you know, you're in theatre and, and and you just need to diffuse a situation. Or that isn't it the old cement joke that you might have? Um, it's a long time since I've done a Neil's so I'm not sure I can really remember many. One of the things that came out of the first two podcasts was the issues with theatre banter um, and being on the other side of that, that it, you know, being that some of that banter was homophobic um, and that if you're part of that banter, you don't know who's listening to you because we're all role models um, in our own way, that there might be someone in the corner thinking this is the right, the theatre's thinking this is the right way to behave. So I don't want to be seen as a killjoy to say that theatre banter isn't a good thing, but I'd be interested in in your views on this, Claire and, and Tim, what you think uh, the direction of the theatre banter should be. Should we ban it? Should we say actually ban, you know, it's, it's offensive? What should we do? Uh, I, I think it, I mean, I think one of the great joys of being in surgery is the community team spirit that you have in your theatre and, um, you know, and your know, banter or the conversations and, and getting to know your team and allowing that 
that sort of lack of hierarchy and communication happening. I think that's all really important for patient safety as well. So I think banning it completely wouldn't be, um, isn't the right thing. But I think that we, we all have to have expectations of what constitutes appropriate behaviour and language and what's inappropriate. Now, occasionally under stressful circumstances, um, you know, things might come out, you know, um, you know, sometimes possibly my language isn't isn't as good as nice as it should should be when I'm in a rather stressful um, uh, position. That's my Celtic, uh, um, you know, guess coming out there. But you know, uh, if people found that offensive, I hope people would be able to come to me and say, I didn't I didn't like that. You know, I think we have to call be a bit bit more um, forward about calling people out and what they've said and say, do, do you realise that actually you said something and I it made me feel uncomfortable. I think if you said that to any surgeon, they would feel terrible. And they would absolutely apologise. I, I think that in the main, most of us want to have a happy uh, working environment. Um, and so I think that we just have to, I, I don't think it, I, I think you, you couldn't really get rid of it altogether. I think it'd be sad if you did, but I think we have to have, you know, we have to be better at actually saying, you know, you cross the line there and, and be absolutely, and, and, and call people out in that. Or if you see someone else saying something that you didn't think was appropriate, again, just very calmly, you know, uh, just say, look, I think that, that person found that a, a bit offensive. Perhaps you need to owe them an apology, or um, or or you know, don't do it again. I think I think we have to just be a bit better at doing that. I don't think any of us want to work in a totally sterile environment in which nobody can say anything for fear of reprimand. And and I think we also have to bear in mind as surgeons, of course, that we only spend a proportion of our work in the operating theatre. There are members of staff who spend all their time in the operating theatre. So if you were to go so that far, then you would create a working environment that I think would be pretty unpleasant for some members of staff. So. Um, it's about all of us really being co conscious of the impact of what we say on other people. I mean, it would be interesting to think if, if all operations were under local anaesthetic, would you say the same things when the patient can listen to what you're saying? Um, there's probably a reason why many surgeons don't like operating under, on patients under local anaesthetic for that very reason, I suspect. Um, but I think it's really, really important for those of us in positions of authority uh, to make sure that um, we ourselves call out poor behaviour and that other people feel empowered to do that uh, and particularly when it may affect bystanders so it's not necessarily the people who appear to be having the conversation because I think the, the other issue is that we are very used to having conversations in theatre maybe with one or two other people but there are other people standing by who are party to that conversation they're not necessarily included in the conversation but they're party to it and I think it's really important that we recognise that. I think what's come out from that is you know you surgery and being a surgical trainee is very much like an apprenticeship and you there is banter and conversation and camaraderie that goes along with that and all of those things are positive um but you know there's a line and everyone needs to know where that line is um and there was a great quote actually from um this month's uh, english college magazine there was an article from simon fleming and becky fisher in it and they say um, a quote from from their um, article, which is on sexual harassment in, uh, in the workplace, was the standard that we walk past is the standard that we accept. And I think that's, you know, that's fundamental to all of this, isn't it? We need people, when you do hear things that are inappropriate, if they're racist or sexist or homophobic or what have you, people have to um, start calling them out and then people will stop saying them. It's just having a profession that's prepared to do it and that's that is part of that hierarchy um lowering that the, the surgeon at the top is still answerable for their behavior that will help with changing the stereotype as well presumably yeah i think it's also important to 
talk about how the uh, how how it's called out, um, because uh, yes, there are standards that, that need to be maintained, but of course, some people don't recognise that necessarily. They, for whatever reason, may believe that certain behaviours are acceptable. Maybe they they felt at one time that was was acceptable, but if it isn't now, it does need to be called out. It needs to be done the right way, and I think it's important to that we all enter into that in a spirit of educating people rather than finger pointing. And I think as Claire said already, you know, often when these sort of things are brought to people's attention, they're mortified to think they might have given offence to somebody because that wasn't the intention. So I think that's really important um, because otherwise you disenfranchise people and, and you, you actually ingrain people's behaviour uh, if, you, if you challenge things in the wrong way, potentially. That's sort of like that cup of coffee type of conversation, that, that scenario, isn't it? To take someone aside and, and point, point out that it was offensive. We can all go and have lots of cups of lots of cups of coffee. That'll be great. Get our, our break times back because that was in. I saw that in the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh. What could improve things for you? And that was having a lunch break because not working through. That was interesting. So we'll go back to that. So, so we've talked a lot about the the direction of the individual colleges, but um, on a personal level, what would you like the profession um, of surgery to look like in the future? And um, should we start with Claire? So I would really like to, to think that the surgeon looking after me was kind and compassionate and well-trained. And, and to me, that's the, the most important thing in terms of sort of patient safety. But I think in terms of the population that we serve, you know, we know from, from reports that people, you know, will open up to um, doctors and surgeons who look like them or have the same um uh, come from the same background and particularly for LGBTQ plus there's a, a very you know marked evidence that people don't actually come out to their doctors talk to them about their experiences and so it's very important that actually surgeons do represent the whole whole breadth of and diversity of the society we serve. And I would say that um, I, I would like to see a profession that's welcoming to everybody and it encourages everybody to fulfil their potential a profession that's open, transparent, and uh, principally fair is the, really the most important thing for me. Absolutely clear that no one should be discriminated against because of their gender, ethnic, social background, sexuality, or any other characteristic. Um, and that's really the, the, the push and that's the, the, the challenge to change the culture to allow that to happen. Um, you've, you've touched on colleges working together and other, with other organisations as well. And I think that's going to be critically important. I think we, have, we all have the same interests at heart. And at the end of the day, it's really about patience. Um, and if we create the right culture, that will improve not the working conditions for surgeons, which is a good thing, but it also will improve surgical care. And that's really what it's, uh, it's about. Um, with regards to the colleges, we've already touched on the fact that exams and training are overseen on an intercollegiate basis. So we are already working together. Uh, the recommendations from the Kennedy Report will uh, require us to look at those things together on an intercollegiate basis. And I, I think it's absolutely clear, and I hope it's come across uh, in the conversations we had, that there's a very clear desire amongst the colleges to do that. Well, thank you for all of your answers and, um, and, and putting up with all of these, all of these questions this evening. Um, I think certainly it sounds like both colleges are he heading, in the right, heading in the right direction. Um, Ginny, do you have any thoughts? Well, yes, my thoughts were the answer to that question myself, the, the last one, and, and how I wanted the profession to be. And actually, I think 
it's that old adage of I just want to be a surgeon. I don't want to be the, the female surgeon. I don't want to be the gay surgeon. I don't want to be, I just want to be the surgeon. And I think for most patients, when they're sick, they actually don't care who's operating on them. They And, and the majority of, of people just want to know that the person who's operating on them is able and capable of doing the operation and is compassionate and empathetic. Um, maybe within our profession ourselves, that's where we need to look within ourselves and having these conversations now. I, I just don't... A year, two years ago, I just would never have foreseen having these conversations, even the thought of forming a forum at the Royal College of Surgeons. I'm still sort of, you know, it's just incredible that we've moved forward so fast within that time um, after having the Kennedy report and moving in this direction. Um, did you think that you would see this, Chloe, in your career? You've been out your whole career, but did you think that you get to this point of, of having these conversations with two members of, of college councils? Um I suppose no, and, um, and and that has all kind of come together um, quickly. But I would say that I I've had the occasional bad comment throughout my career. But I've been in medicine for from from medical school for over over twenty years. So and I've been out for the for the entirety of that. So I don't feel like somebody who's been actively discriminated against throughout my career. So I don't want people to be put off thinking that you know it never occurred to me that I couldn't do surgery um because of my sexual orientation I wouldn't want anybody um to 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 think in that way or or that that um any aspect of diversity would prevent you uh, um from embracing a career in surgery and, and succeeding within it so I think it's great that the colleges are being more more open themselves about their support of having a more diverse um, workforce. Um, but I don't want to paint a picture of us all having been actively discriminated against throughout, because I, I'm sure that there are there are microaggressions that happen. You There are things that go on behind the scenes that you don't necessarily ever become aware of. And there are issues, of course, with um, equity of opportunity and um, you know, people giving opportunities to people who remind themselves of them. And if you don't have female role models or LGBTQ role models or what have you, then that does count people out. And I'm not not belittling any of that. That's obviously, um, you know, an important issue. And that's what all of this is is trying to address. Um, so I think it's a, 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 a fabulous move forwards. I mean, absolutely. When we, you know, at the start, we said we didn't want, we wanted to acknowledge, you know, those issues, but we didn't want to dwell on them, which was wanting to move forward um, and, you know, put to to be positive as well as, as acknowledging where where we'd come from. Um, and that, that's why this has been really exciting to do this. And I think what we hear is that that we just, we need to make the profession welcome to everyone to feel that they will be welcome to become surgeons. And so that, that the, the, the surgeons of the future will be as diverse as the population that they serve. Um, and that's after all, it's um, what it's all about. So thank you very much, Claire. Thank you, Tim. Um, and to Chloe, thank you. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the theater wherever you get your podcasts for future episodes. For the latest information and updates from the college, please visit our website or follow us on social media.